Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Park Hill Church. How are you today? Awesome. My name's Evan. Uh, my wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church together. If you're new to Park Hill, welcome. We'd love to get to know you. If there's any way we can serve you, um, let us know. Come to the Connect table back there or uh, email us, parkhillsd.church. Um, yeah, we're walking through 1 Corinthians on Sunday. Paul's letter to a little church in Corinth. And today we come to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. So if you could turn there, that would be great. Paul starts talking about the Holy Spirit, the things the Spirit wants to do right here through you and me as a church. So right away, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. We're going to read it. You ready? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. All right, that's as far as we're going to go. We're going to stop there. Here's why. Uh, this is the start of a whole new section, like I said, all about the things the Spirit wants to do. I, wanna, I want us to get that. Some of your Bibles, including mine, might say gifts of the Spirit, right? Did yours say spiritual gifts or anything? Now about the gifts of the Spirit. I hate to break it to you, but the word gifts is not in the original text in that verse. The word gift is not there in the Greek. Uh, it's just one Greek word, spirituals. So now concerning the spirituals, I don't want you to be ignorant. So what is that? Like it's a shorthand really of saying the things the spirit does. Or like we like to say as a team around here, like Holy Spirit stuff, like the activity of the spirit through the church. This is what Paul wants us to be informed about. So in your community groups through February and March, and then in April, as we cry out to God in prayer right here on Tuesday nights, and then in the coming months and years as a church, what Paul has to say about the Holy Spirit here has the potential to free you from what other people think you should be and to affirm your value as a loved daughter and son of God in the church, and then empower you, like uniquely you, empower who you are, your wiring and personality, uh, as you, filled with the Spirit, to be the unique person God has made you to be for his glory in the church. This is what Paul is going to talk about. And we believe these seven weeks that will be in these three chapters are going to be powerful for our church. So Paul opens it up with this statement. Now about all this, the things the Spirit does, the spirituals, I don't want you to be uninformed, he says. So to follow his heart, uh, we're going to let the bigger story of the Spirit inform us, kind of like a backdrop. Rather than zooming in on 1 Corinthians 12 today, we're going to do that next week. But the goal for today is to step back and like swap out the zoom lens for a wide angle and take in the large narrative arc of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testaments, starting with the prophets, centuries before Jesus, moving through the early church, and this will set the stage for the next seven weeks and what the Spirit wants to do in us. How does that sound? Okay, good. So to kick us off, I love Yancey's Bible in five words. God gets his family back. Bible in five words. I love that. Um, I think it's spot on. The scriptures from Genesis to Revelation are one unified story about how God gets his family back through Jesus, the Messiah. Way before Jesus comes, back in the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew scriptures, right? Uh, the Old Testament in your hand is the Bible Jesus had and read. 
fascinating that we have access to that. And so in that Hebrew scripture, in that Old Testament, Israel's prophets envisioned this Messiah figure, a figure who would conquer evil and put the world back together and get God's family back. And one of the things the prophets would say about this Messiah figure is that he'd be animated by God's spirit in a whole new way. Lots of people in the Old Testament were filled with the Spirit, if you know the stories. They did amazing things like leading and doing battle and ruling, even music. And even like interior design is a Holy Spirit thing in Exodus, which is pretty fantastic. But the Messiah would be different. His connection with the Holy Spirit would be something else. Not only would he be perfectly filled by God's Spirit, but also this Messiah would somehow introduce a whole new way for humans to relate to God's spirit. This is what they saw. So we're gonna start with one of the most famous prophets of all, Isaiah. So turn to Isaiah 61. We're gonna be turning a lot of pages to the right in your Bible today, starting in Isaiah 61. Why Isaiah? Because Isaiah is a prophet who talked a lot about this connection between Messiah and God's spirit. This prophet sort of puts words in the mouth of this Messiah figure in the future. That's what he's doing. He's putting words in the future Messiah's mouth. And here's what he says. Verse one, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, on me. Super important phrase. Where is the spirit of God? On the Messiah here. Spirit of God is on the Messiah. Next line, because the Lord has anointed me. Okay, Uh, churchy word, anointed, right? Depending on what church circles you grew up in, you probably heard the word anointed a lot. Like, oh, he's so anointed, she's so anointed, which usually in that moment meant they're pretty talented and gifted or whatever. Um, But in the scriptures, talent and gifting and like the best singer in the room is not the same thing as anointing. (laughs) Uh, So what does it mean to be anointed? First of all, anointed one literally is what Christ means. So in the scriptures, there's only one true anointed one and it's this Messiah figure. This anointed Messiah is this person God would choose to rescue his people and bring justice and healing to the world. And the way God would choose or anoint the Messiah was by putting his own spirit on him, the spirit of God on him, and then the spirit would work through him. So in the Bible, anointed doesn't mean talented or gifted or the best singer or whatever, not at all, but talent is great, that's amazing. But anointing is something else. To be anointed in scripture means to have God's spirit on you and working through you, okay? So Isaiah 61, it's this Messiah, who's anointed God's spirit on him, working through him. Why? To what end? Look at the rest of the verse, Isaiah 61, one. Why? To proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, emotional healing and lifting up the poor. What else? To proclaim freedom for captives. That's emancipation, you guys. And release from darkness for prisoners, conquering demonic evil to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day God's will is done. And so that's that's Isaiah's point here. When Messiah comes, he'll come to heal and emancipate and destroy the demonic and bring justice to the whole world because God's spirit is on him. This is the prophecy. And then listen, the plot thickens. 
And the prophets, other prophets also envision a group, like more than one person doing all this Messiah stuff, the healing and preaching and prophecy, right? Another prophet, Joel, saw the same future that Isaiah saw. But this time when Joel talks about it, he sees women, men, young, old, prophesying, being filled with the power of the Spirit to preach what God is up to in the world. Here's the verse. Flip now to the right, like five books to Joel. It's about five books to the right. Joel chapter two, verse 28. He starts by saying, and afterward, okay, after what? It's in the time God starts saving the world and doing the Messiah things. Justice is coming, healing is coming. After that kicks off, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So while Isaiah sees the spirit coming on one Messiah, at the same time, Joel sees the spirit on all the people. And this happens all through the Old Testament. Ezekiel 37, Daniel 7, there's this one Messiah sharing his power with many That's the vision here. And this is the picture of the Old Testament. Many daughters and sons filled with the same spirit as Messiah. You got that. So you guys got the Old Testament backdrop. Fast forward 500 years to Luke chapter three. Luke three, three books into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Jesus Christ is about 30, 30 years old and strong. And uh, he quits his day job as a general contractor to start traveling and speaking about the kingdom of God. And as he starts traveling, here's one of the first stories from his adult life. Luke 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. Huge prophetic language there. That's Isaiah's Messiah is coming. Heaven is opening. Verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended where? On him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. So you see this picture. Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River. He goes underwater and as he comes up, the Holy Spirit comes what? On him. It's like the scriptures are hammering this home. The Spirit comes on Jesus and what's the result? Turn one page over to chapter four, the very first story where Jesus preaches in Luke, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee, how? How did Jesus return to Galilee? In the power of the Spirit. You're seeing a pattern here. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. There's Jesus's Bible, which you have in your hands. Same book. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Sound familiar? We literally just read the primary source. 10 minutes ago, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year what God wants to happen, 
happens. And then watch this, so epic. Verse 20, then he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Ah, I I like want that moment on like a YouTube video or something. I want to see it, just like mic drop moment. And and Jesus is meaning, I'm the guy. Like I'm the anointed one you've been waiting for. Your country's been talking about for centuries. I'm here to set people free from sickness, sin, death, demons, false religion, false spirituality. And I'm here to make public and clear that God is here and he's alive and he's working in the world through me. Okay. So here's the important thing for today. Jesus does all of that Isaiah stuff, the freedom, healing, preaching, prophecy, justice, all that in the power of the Spirit. This is how Jesus does it. Mark that, like write it down, memorize it, make it your smartphone background or whatever, whatever it takes. Don't miss that line, in the power of the Spirit. I would argue if we misunderstand what Luke says here, we will misunderstand Jesus. And in doing so, we misunderstand the spirit. And then we'll misunderstand what Paul wants our whole church to do. All the stuff the spirit wants to do, the next seven weeks in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we will miss it unless we understand Jesus here. Notice what the gospel writers say. Jesus did all that Isaiah stuff all the healing, preaching, signs, all of that in the power of the Spirit, not because he was God, but because he was perfectly filled with the Spirit of God. Now listen, do not hear me wrong. Jesus was and is and always will be God, the second person of the Trinity, truly, fully God with us. We affirm the Nicene Creed, which is on our website. The Lord Jesus Christ is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, 100%. But that's not how he does his miracles, his healing, his preaching and teaching in the gospel accounts. Not once do the New Testament writers say that because of some God category, he could do those things. No, in in fact, over and over again, what they do say, especially in Philippians 2 and throughout the gospels in Hebrews 2, Jesus did everything he did as the perfectly spirit-filled human in submission to the Father. I just wanna be uh, frank about this. It's easy to slip into wrong ideas about Jesus. It's easy. It's like, of course he could do those things. Um, of course he could, he's, he's God. As if it's just like, of course he could cast out demons. Of course he lived a flourishing and fulfilled sexual life as a single person without ever having sex. He's God, right? Yes, he is God, absolutely. 100%, Jesus is fully God with us, but that's not how he does his miracles. Healing, preaching, and teaching according to the writers of the New Testament. The orthodox historic teaching of Christianity has always been that Jesus is the God-human, fully both. Jesus is the God-human. Now, lots of people outside the church want to erase the God part, right? People who don't believe Jesus is God obviously erase the God part of Jesus. Shocker, right? That shouldn't shock us. But here's the, the problem. Lots of people inside the church tend to erase the human part. And we tend to think of Jesus as like God in a body or like, you know, like the blue avatar movie. 
Like Jesus is like God in a body vehicle. Um, like when the gospels say Jesus was tired or Jesus was hungry or Jesus was asking a question. It's like, yeah, well, we all really know he was just pretending because like he's, he's God. And uh, he's not really tired. And he really knows the answer to that question, right? I mean, he's, he's God. He is God, absolutely. Well, but I want to I say, why does he ask? Why does he ask the question if it's not a real question? And if he's not really sad, why does it say he's sad? You see, for 2,000 years, the orthodox teaching of the church is that God in Jesus takes on flesh and blood and the full human experience. And it's not like God just steps into the avatar vehicle and starts walking around in a human body. No, the second person of the Trinity, God fully eternally, becomes the God human. He remains thoroughly God. And he's also thoroughly human. And what God in Jesus does, this is a, a, almost every way we talk about this ends up being crude. But uh, what God in Jesus does is he willingly, for lack of a better term, willingly puts aside his powers. And I want to emphasize willingly. The technical term is his incommunicable attributes, meaning the traits only God can have and does not share with other beings. This is God's omnipresence, omnipotence, you know, his his everywhere at one timeness and his, his omniscience, his knowing everything at once. When God became human in Jesus, he willingly lays aside the use of his omnis and he lives the fully human experience. He can pick up that stuff anytime he wants because he is fully God, but he doesn't because he is a true, thoroughly human person. Understand, so important. Uh, Dr. Bashirs has this fun analogy. Every analogy breaks down, but he has this analogy. Uh, Jesus lays down the God card and don't think identity. It's more like access, like a hotel room. So if I uh, have a hotel room key card, if I check into a hotel and they hand me a card to room 302, where does that get me? Excellent, room 302. Now behind the desk, there is a better card It's a manager's card. Where does that card get me? All access. The all the things card. Um, So when God came in Jesus, he willingly put the all access card in his pocket. He could take it out whenever he wanted, but he doesn't. Instead, he lived his entire life holding onto the room 302. The same card you have, the human card in full submission to the Father, perfectly filled with the Spirit. You and I, we can't get into the omni doors because we have room 301, room 300, room 299. We can't get into the omni doors. Jesus did not get into the omni doors. So question, was Jesus all places at all times? Was he omnipresent? Obviously, no, he was in a body. And John 11 specifically says the point of the story is that Jesus wasn't physically present with Mary and Martha and Lazarus dies. They're like, you weren't here. That's a big point of that story. Question, was Jesus omniscient, like knowing all things at once? He asks questions. And and Luke 2 literally says he grows in wisdom. How do you grow in something you have all of? And in Matthew 24, 36, Jesus specifically says he doesn't know the date of his second coming. So that's a piece of info. 
he did not have. So is Jesus omnipotent by himself? Like by himself, full omnipotence. No, first of all, case A, he died. Opposite of omnipotent. And plus, repeatedly in John 5, Jesus says, the son can do nothing by himself. His own words. So listen, this all points in one direction. The New Testament writers are all saying this. Jesus did all of the Messiah stuff that Isaiah saw. All the miracles, healings, preachings, teachings by the power of the Spirit, by the power of God's Spirit. He did all of that, not as as much because he was God, but it was because he was a perfectly Spirit-filled human. This is the only way to make sense of moments like Jesus' wilderness temptation, right? When Satan tempts Jesus, what was the first temptation in the wilderness? Do you remember? Yeah, turning something. What, what What do you, a rock, like stone. So is it a sin to turn a rock into bread if you can? Like, no, it's not like one of the Ten Commandments or anything, you know? Like, don't turn stone into bread. So I don't think sin is the point of this temptation. So what was the temptation? I submit it was to pick the God card back up. No one's looking, Jesus. You're hungry, you're tired. You don't need to trust the Father. You don't need to live fully dependent on the Father or His Spirit. Just swipe. Just swipe the God card real quick. And Jesus says, no. He could have fully God, but he says, no. Holds tight to the human card. Why? Why does Jesus do that? It wouldn't be a sin. Why does Jesus humble himself and take on full humanity and totally depend on the Father and the Spirit? Why does Jesus do that? Anyone know? To show us to show us, to show daughters and sons, to show you and me how to live in the power of the Spirit. This is our whole church vision at Park Hill. We are committed to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. So, you guys, if we do not get this, we won't be able to make sense of all kinds of other things Jesus says. Not to mention 1 Corinthians 12 and the things the Spirit wants to do here. So flip to the right, John 14. We're closing in on the end here. You guys, if you want an experience of a lifetime, read John 14 through 16 and just write down all the stuff Jesus says the Spirit does and own that stuff as a child of God. Powerful. So Jesus talks a ton about the Spirit here. For now, there's one thing Jesus says here we gotta get, okay? John 14, verse 12, you ready? He says, very truly, I tell you, that's Jesus for super important, listen up. Uh, Whoever believes in me, raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Awesome, most of you. Some of you didn't raise your hand. Might mean you're not followers of Jesus yet. Welcome, that's awesome. So glad you're here. Seriously, like we would love to talk with you about what it looks like to like trust Jesus and step into relationship with Jesus and the family of Jesus. Um, Because he's talking about believers here. Whoever believes in me, a lot of believers here, you will do the works I have been doing. What works has Jesus been doing? Teaching, healing, miracles, prophecy, casting out demons, all that. So wait a minute. Anyone who believes in Jesus, you will do all that. (laughs) What? That's insane. And then he goes one further. 
Look at the last line. And they will do even greater things than these. I don't even, like, what do you do with that? Whoever believes in Jesus will do greater things than Jesus did. What do you do? People disagree on exactly what Jesus means here, but everyone agrees Jesus doesn't mean we will do worse things, lesser things, right? We can agree on that. Uh, We can differ on the specifics, but we all agree this means Jesus's people, that's us. We are intended. Christ's vision was that we would do things by the power of the Spirit like Jesus did. So picture Jesus, one person in one place at one time during his earthly ministry, right? Uh, But what would happen, you guys? Just open up your imagination. What would happen if there wasn't just one Christ, but millions and billions of Christians, Christians, anointed ones, little wannabe Jesuses, that's, that's us, wannabe Christs, a whole world full of them, daughters and sons who Christ shares his anointing with. Not just one Christ in one place that everyone flocks to, but billions of Christians down throughout history, across every continent, woven into every culture, speaking every language at once today, week in and week out, gathering around the bread and cup each week in communities all over their city, praying their guts out. Communities who do the works I did, Jesus says. Imagine that. That would be something. Would that not be something? So this is Jesus's vision. After he dies and rises, he goes to his father and the story picks up in the book of Acts. This is the last place we're going to turn. Turn to Acts chapter one. First line. This is Luke writing. What book did Luke write other than Acts? Luke. Excellent. Fantastic. So he says, in my last book, in the book of Luke, all about Jesus, I wrote about all what? All that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke, what do you mean began? Like Luke, the gospel was about his whole life, right? And Luke's like, no, it was about the beginning of his life. The beginning of his body activity. What is going on here? Verse two, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. It's all over the place, you guys. So how did Jesus give instructions? God, this is both Old and New Testaments are hammering this as if it's one of the most important things we can know. Look at Jesus' instructions. Verse four, here's what he says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. What do you think that gift is? The Spirit which you've heard me speak about. Definitely, he talked about the Spirit a lot. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus meaning here, what happened to Jesus in the waters of baptism will happen to you. The Spirit will come upon you and Christ will share his anointing with you. This is his vision for you his vision for the whole church for all time until he comes again to make everything sad come untrue. Verse eight, Acts one says it like this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Do you want power? Tired, exhausted, brokenness in your heart, brokenness in your family, 
longing and lonely and desiring clarity on what God is wanting for your life. Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses on a divine mission from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, concentric, all the way out to the ends of the, it's the 21st century, San Diego, two millennia, to the year 2050, some of you will be around then and carrying forward the vision of Jesus by the same power. So Jesus says this and then he goes away to the Father, right? And what happens on the very next page, Acts 2? Jesus goes away to the Father. What happens in Acts 2? The Spirit comes. The Spirit comes in power and light and heat and noise. And uh, my wife was uh, walking my five-year-old and eight-year-old through this story. We do this little book on discipling little kids. It's an old book and we kind of tweak it a little bit and, uh, and we have fun with it. And so we're getting through the life of Jesus and my wife's sitting on the fireplace and my wife gets to this passage about Jesus going to the Father. And she's like, Harper, she's eight and River's five. She's like, Harper River. Jesus' body, like he in his body went up to be with his Father because that's the only time that he could send the Holy Spirit to be with all the bodies, all of our, and my son, his five-year-old brain goes, and he goes, get dad. Dad doesn't know this. Does dad know this? And he runs to wherever I am. He's like, dad, you have to, you have to hear this. And he pulls me over to the thing and, and he's like, Jesus' body goes, went away. It was already dead and then made alive and then went away again. And then because he went away, all of our bodies can have him with us with the Holy Spirit and his mind just blowing out of his cranium. And that is, you guys, listen, this is the proper response to what we're talking about right now. This is the proper reaction to what's happening through the text of scripture, in reality, in churches all over the world who are hungry and crying out and asking the Father for his presence. Out of the mouth of babes. Like, let's learn from children right now. Um, And we're gonna end on that note in about two minutes. So just like Jesus in the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit comes on his followers and they start speaking languages they never learned. And in those languages, other people from those native languages are hearing the worship of God and coming to Christ. These are miraculous activities of the spirit. These are spirituals. These are the stuff the spirit wants to do in the church, you guys. And when you read the rest of the book of Acts, it absolutely reads like Luke part two. And it's intentionally written that way. In Luke, Jesus heals the sick. And in Acts, Peter heals the sick. Jesus preaches and thousands gather around bread and fish in Luke. Peter preaches and thousands gather around bread and wine in Acts. Jesus casts out demons in Luke. Philip casts out demons. Jesus heals the sick. John and Paul heal the sick. And you can keep, Jesus raises the dead in Luke and Peter raises a dead girl, Tabitha in Acts. And in the language of the text, Luke is screaming over and over loud and clear, the power of the spirit in the one Christ is now being willingly, freely shared with all who are hungry, all who are crying out to Christ and professing that Christ is Lord and asking for his same life. And, and not just through one more person or two, but 20, 2,000 all over the world, you guys, through little wannabe Jesuses, 
anointed ones, little Christians, Christians. That's you. That's you. And listen, do not get me wrong. I am not saying you're the same as Jesus, okay? Jesus is fully God and fully human. You are fully human, period. Okay, but I am saying, along with Jesus and the New Testament writers, if you are a follower of Jesus, then here's the deal, you guys. The next two months, look for how God wants to empower you. Listen to how God wants you to speak stirring up and empowering language in the lives of others that might lead to a spiritual in someone's life or in your community. And explore the Holy Spirit in a context of trust in your community uh, of spirit-filled people who want to, they want to help you figure this out. We want to figure this out together. We want to dive deep into this. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you, come upon you, work through you. Why? Why? To carry forward the story of Jesus, save people's lives, and be part of God's mission to put the world back together again. That's what Jesus did. So we're called to do by the Spirit. I am so ready for this. I am so ready for 1 Corinthians 12 next week. So first half of chapter 12 next week, and then Aaliyah is going to do the second half of 12 the next week, and then we'll do 13 and 14, February and March in community, practicing these things together as the people of God. So two thoughts as we come to the table. You can feel free to put your uh, stuff down. Just kind of uh, just take a deep breath. Two thoughts. This was a lot of theology, a lot of like scripture and, and what God is doing throughout history. And it's like, Evan, so what? Like, I have to go to work tomorrow. What does this mean for my life? Um, number one, I, f- I, I really believe that some of you are being called by God to lead other people into this stuff. Not just cr- ask for it for yourself, but you've tasted it, you've experienced it. And yeah, we're all hungry for it. We all want to grow in it, but it's like time for you to call it out in other people. What does that look like? Uh, What does it look like for you to have your radar up for the spirituals, the stuff the spirit does as it percolates in the body of Christ? And you see it in your family and you see it in your community and you see it here in between gatherings. You ask the spirit to speak to you and he gives you a word for someone. God is calling some of you to lead others into this stuff. Yes, we're all called to be hungry for it ourselves, but to call it out in others, that's leadership. Leadership is not coming in from the outside like, I'm gonna change this organization. They're gonna really know the right model. I am the change agent or whatever. Um, That's a great way to burn bridges and uh, put obstacles that never existed in the way of others and yourself. No, leadership is all about finding out what God is already doing, how God is using a particular person and their wiring and their desire and stimulating that and motivating and encouraging that with blessing. They're, they're, they're thinking negatively or they're believing a lie and you just begin to call out what God does say about them as it relates to that activity. God is calling you guys to lead, to lead in this. This is leadership in scripture right now. So that's number one. Some of you are being called, all of us are being called to be hungry. Some are being called to lead. Um, and finally, number two, maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, okay, like, Got it. Holy Spirit stuff. Kind of weird, but I'm in. 
you know, um, kind of freaky. Yeah, Park Hill seems to be hard pivoting right now, maybe. You're like, um, but I get it. The Holy Spirit wants to come on me. I'm a Christian, so I believe in the Trinity, so there's the Holy Spirit, whatever. Um, sounds great. How? Like, what do I do to step in? Like, what's the next thing if I'm getting started? Or maybe it's been a long time. And maybe adding to that, you're like, sure, the Spirit comes on the Bible, guys. Like Peter and James, and the Spirit does amazing things through them. But those are like the superstars. That's like Patrick Mahomes in a field full of people that are barely throwing the football, like with their, they don't know which hand they're supposed to throw with. That's me. I don't know which hand. And I'm not Peter. I'm not Patrick. Um, and that's true. None of us are the apostles. And that's actually really good. They've done their job. They're with the Lord. And listen, now is your time. Now is this moment that God has you in. And that is a good thing. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you uniquely. Like your personality, your voice, your wiring, talents, gifts, your Enneagram number, whatever is you. Like God wants that. And to blow his breath into the sail on your little raft and to activate you in his family for his good mission. You're like, okay, 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 but how? Like, how? How do I receive that? And Jesus answers that, like very simply. You ready? ask. That's the Jesus answer. How to experience the power of filling, mission, empowerment, spirit, how to start? You ask. He says in, in Luke 11, so I say to you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You're like, yeah, but that's just general prayer. That's just, Lord, help me have enough money for next month. No, actually, it's specifically the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. So you see these hungry kids? It's lunchtime, give me some fish. <laughs> it's breakfast, I want an egg. No father would throw a snake at a hungry child, right? And so Jesus says, if all of you decent dads would give food to your hungry child, how much more the good, perfect father will give the Holy Spirit to those who are hungry, to those who ask? It seems the only prerequisite for receiving the Holy Spirit is asking for it. Hungrily. Are you hungry? Well, are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you longing for a move of God to clear away the cobwebs of your heart? ask. And so we're going to give an opportunity for that asking today. We're going to come to the table, bread and cup and all of that. But first, during this song, whoever desires to receive the Holy Spirit and to begin a journey of asking for power and walking confidently in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have you stand during this song and people around you will pray. And as we like to say, we don't have a prayer team here. We just say, if you are uh, loving Jesus and breathing air, you're qualified to be on the prayer team. So you have, you have the qualification from heaven. So if there are people who stand and are like, I, for whatever reason, they might be in tears, they might just be still. 
and they might stand up really late at the last minute or whatever, don't let anyone stand alone. So as they stand, just move toward them. And if you came with them, feel free to put your hand on their shoulder. If you didn't, feel free to give a safe distance. We're still abiding by Liberty Station's guidelines in honoring them for allowing us to be here. Uh, but during the song, let's ask and listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, same invitation. Admit your need of his power and presence and love. Jesus Christ died to bring you into his family, paid the penalty for your sin, the things that we've done against the nature of God. And through his resurrection, he makes eternal life available forever for his family. And so you two stand, same, literal same response. I need you, I need your power. I admit my lack and I desire your fullness. So if that's you, whether you're not a Christian or you are, um, feel free to stand during the song and we'll pray for you, we'll move toward you. Don't let anyone stand alone. And then after this song, we'll finish with communion together. Heavenly Father, come. We pray the oldest prayer in the book. Holy Spirit, come. Breathe on us. Restore what is broken. We need you, Holy Spirit, to be the wounded healers that you are, to be the broken menders of hearts with our own hearts broken. We need you. Come, Holy Spirit. So feel free, stand. Just stand as a sign of admission. I need God. I ask for his power. Awesome.